American soccer fans, welcome to episode 56 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things U.S. national teams, the players that comprise them, and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in America. It has been a minute. Uh, I apologize for the lengthy delay between episode 55 and this episode 56, but as you guys know, there's been a lot going on. We had the Gold Cup, we've had the Olympics, we've had a lot of soccer, and I have been traveling around the country, seeing a lot of you out there in the stands, uh, at, especially at the Gold Cup, and also staying up late at night or getting up early in the morning for the Olympics. So this episode is just to catch you back up on the last month. What have we been watching? We will go through the length of the Gold Cup, breaking down all the victories. Of course, we are talking about our champions here, the Gold Cup champions and the U.S. men's national team. And then we will get into the Olympics. Of course, the U.S. women's national team, as you all know, secured the bronze medal. It was not the gold medal they were looking for, but bronze is a medal still worth celebrating and worth talking about. So we will talk about that. But we will begin with our CONCACAF Nations League champions and our now 2021 Gold Cup champions, the U.S. men's national team. We can start with this. When we all saw the Gold Cup roster come out, of course, People in the note understood what that roster was about. It was not the roster that we saw in June in Denver for the Nations League finals. Of course, the U.S. men's national team beating Mexico in that final, one of the most epic all-time games in that rivalry's history. But entering the Gold Cup, we saw a lot of faces where people probably said, hey, why are these guys on this team? And it was clear what Greg Berhalter was doing. He knew what his main roster was going to be when we're talking about the bigot, we're talking about World Cup qualifying, which begins uh, as we speak in less than three weeks. But when it comes to the Gold Cup, what he wanted to do was leave his main stars at home, give them the rest that they need so that they can go back to their clubs, get back into a groove with preseason in the start of their seasons in Europe, and then they're ready for World Cup qualifying. But the Gold Cup roster, this was made up of mostly Major League Soccer-based players, and also players that are kind of considered on that fringe. Now, whether you call them a B team, a B minus team, a C plus team, a C team, whatever you want to call them, what these guys were here to do was to show Greg Berhalter that when it comes to the depth of this player pool, when it comes to all the guys that we're going to need for World Cup qualifying, it's not just going to be the main 11 or the main 15 or the main 18. We're going to need a big group of people to endure the 14 matches that we will go through over the next six months when it comes to World Cup qualifying. These players on that Gold Cup roster want to show that they were a part of that, that they could be a part of that. But also, they want to show that they were champions too. And you have to commend Greg Berhalter and the players for it during that fight that was the Gold Cup. A lot of people said they weren't going to make it. Not even CONCACAF thought they were going to make it. When you saw how they were setting up the Gold Cup final and selling tickets, they sold the tickets out well before they put it on sale to American fans because they didn't think Americans were going to need to be there. They thought that Vegas was just going to be Mexico's place to be crowned once again Gold Cup champions. And they were entering this Gold Cup tournament with the same roster just about that they brought to Denver for the Nations League. They were missing Diego Lanez. They were missing Memo Ochoa. They were missing uh Herving Lozano in the final, at least he made the Gold Cup roster, but was hurt during the Gold Cup. So he wasn't in the match for the final. But everyone else on this team was on that roster. 
they brought basically their A team. And the U.S. brought, again, what you want to call between a B and C team. They brought guys that if you said, hey, name your best 23, almost everyone entering this Gold Cup would say none of these guys were on that list. But now we went through the Gold Cup and we're going to go through the scores. We found some players that might be a part of that 23, might be part of that 30, is definitely going to be in the mix when it comes to World Cup qualifying. Again, the U.S. started in Kansas City for the group stage. They stayed in Kansas City for the entire group stage where they were in a group with Haiti, Martinique, and Canada. Now, the first match, U.S. won, Haiti nil. The second match, U.S. destroyed Martinique. They took care of business, 6-1. to one. Mind you, the lone goal for Martinique was scored on a penalty. It was not from the run of play. And then you have the U.S. beating Canada in the final group stage match. And again, a very tough game where the U.S. scored in the first 20 seconds, one of the fastest goals ever scored by a U.S. men's national team. And then they just kind of held on the rest of the way against Canada. And a lot of people exiting that group stage said, hey, this is a really tough out. This, this team took care of business. They got nine points. But let's see how far they can get. And they went to Dallas, Jerry World to be exact, AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, home of the Dallas Cowboys, where they faced Jamaica. Now, the thing about Jamaica is we faced them in the last three Gold Cups in the knockout stage. In 2019, it was the semifinal. In 2017, it was the final where the U.S. won 2-1. to one. And in 2015, it was also a semifinal. But in that, in that game, the U.S. lost to Jamaica. And missed out on that final in 2015. So having this as a quarterfinal, that is a big step up in, in competition. Because Jamaica is one of those teams that is expected to be you know, right in the thick of things when it comes to maybe qualifying for the World Cup. They are obviously in the octagon. And they're one of the teams that have been you know, loading up on dual nationals, especially from England, trying to get them in the mix in time to really make a run at it during World Cup qualifying. And this was a major test for our guys in the red, white, and blue uniforms. And sure enough, after extra time, they did defeat Jamaica 1-0. They didn't advance to the semifinal, and they faced the invitees, Qatar. Uh, Qatar, obviously, is not from CONCACAF. They are the hosts of the 2022 World Cup. They are the Asian Cup champions, defending champions. And really, they got there by being very good. They were really, I mean, taking it to teams. They were not here for vacation. They were here to compete, but Qatar had a penalty kick uh, that was given to him by VAR. It was skied over the bar. Some of you who were watching that game, if you look closely, when that ball goes over the bar, you can see me very, very happy right behind where the ball was going. But anyway, Qatar ends up losing to the United States 1-0. Jesse Zardis in the 83rd minute or so wins the game for the United States, and they advance to the final against a team in Mexico that everyone thought was going to be in the final. And they did make it, but it wasn't the cakewalk that everyone thought it was going to be. Mexico did not play well throughout this entire tournament, despite, again, bringing their best players. And we're not sure what that is about. We may break down. They may have to do their own breakdown on what happened to them. But when it comes to this tournament, the best team in the tournament was not Mexico. Mexico was supposed to be on paper the best team, but they did not play like it. And when it got to the final, honestly, a lot of people still thought that Mexico was going to run the table and destroy U.S. 
men's national team walking away. And that didn't happen either. The United States played well. They played hard. They played tough. And that match was, again, back and forth. But unlike in Denver, Las Vegas was home to no scoring in the first 90 minutes of the ballgame. 0-0, they go to extra time. And even through the first extra time, still no score. In the 117th minute, Miles Robinson scores on a header from a Kellen Acosta free kick, and it's USA 1, Mexico 0. That's how it ends. The United States are your Gold Cup champions. That win, to me, signified something. Not necessarily a change of the guard. A lot of people are saying this means that Mexico is no longer the best team in CONCACAF. I didn't think they were, but that's just me. I'm biased. But when it comes to the United States, it showed me something. It showed that these guys know how to fight. It shows that Burhalter has these guys ready for the fight that is CONCACAF. Something that four or five years ago, when we were entering the 2017-2018 cycle, we didn't necessarily know we had. But we know we have it now. We have a bunch of players who can take it to CONCACAF. We have a bunch of players that can respond to the CONCACAFine that happens in a lot of these games. And you guys have seen it throughout all these games. The referees being bad, the the fouls, the chippiness, the physicality, all of that. The United States knows they have to be ready to endure all of that throughout World Cup qualifying and then some. But they've showed me through the Nations League and through the Gold Cup that they're ready to do that. And I think that's the most important thing in my mind coming out of this Gold Cup. is not just that we're champions. It's not just that we beat Mexico again but I like saying that we beat Mexico again. It's the fact that we are ready. And I think everyone who is a fan of the national team has a, has a new air of confidence, a new swagger, a new excitement about these games coming up that are the most important games in our schedule. And everyone is ready for it. Everyone's ready to jump back on and get ready for the road to Qatar. And I think that is the most important thing that has come out of this Gold Cup is that people are excited, people are ready, and people know that we have a group of guys that will respond to the CONCACAF. And that is going to be just as important as having the best players on the field. Is if the best players on the field can't withstand CONCACAF and all his glory and all his flaws, then this is going to be a very, very slow and windy road to get to the World Cup. Another thing that is important that comes out of this Gold Cup victory is we know some of these players that will probably feature into the mix when it comes to Greg Berhalter's selection of guys for World Cup qualifying. He's already indicated that he's going to bring a group of, you know, 28, 30 players instead of 23. Sure, he'll only dress 23 because I believe he is capped at that number when it comes to World Cup qualifiers to have on their bench. But he will bring a group of guys and have them compete in camp, make sure they're all ready, and have everyone focused on the mindset of, I could play today. And if I could play today, I will be ready. Because as much as we love Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams and Gio Reyna and those type of guys, They can't play every game. They just can't. It's too taxing on the body. Three games in the span of seven days in a window. That is a lot to ask 
any one of our guys to be able to endure. Now, some will do it. Some will go 180 minutes and then go to the coach and say, I want, I want 90 more. And it's up to Greg Berhalter to manage minutes, ma- make sure everyone's ready and make sure that we have a good group out in the field at all times that can give maximum effort against all of these teams. And to do that, he's going to need a lot of players. He's going to need, again, 28, maybe even 30 in a window to train. And that way he has a selection of 27 and he can have guys say, hey, look, we got six, Christian. Take a load off. We, Weston McKinney, you picked up a slight knock. We, we don't need you right now hurt. We need you 100% next month. So we're going to sit you out. Whatever that case may be. And I'm not, of course, I'm not wishing ill on any of our players. But that rotation is going to need to be there. And so I'm going to go through a list of some of the guys that I thought stood out from the rest in this Gold Cup for the United States. You have to start with Matt Turner. Matt Turner, again, if you look at the, at the, look at the games, one nothing, 6-1, one nothing, one nothing, one nothing, one nothing. He only allowed one goal throughout the entire tournament. He was named the tournament's best goalkeeper. Should not be a shock. He had great saves. He had great use of the ball. Did he play perfect all the time? No. But he played extremely well in every single game. Again, the one goal that he gave up was a penalty kick. Nothing from the run of play. Nothing against some of the bigger teams. And when it came down to it, for two of the games in the knockout stage, he had to go 120 minutes of shutout ball. And he did that against Jamaica and against Mexico. So Matt Turner, to me, some people may think that he is the number one. I am not quite there yet, but what I do want to do is see that be an open competition. I don't know how you want to get that done, but Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath, Matt Turner have all showed something that is worth exploring and getting them all in camp together to see who will go up against Mexico or Honduras or El Salvador or Canada. I want that to be a competition every single time. I don't want it to be written in stone that this is our guy because each team provides different things. And if one wins out and and really steps up and shines bright above the other two, perfect. I think we're in a great position with all three. And I think for me, I am confident that with any one of those three in goal, we are fine. We will be okay. And I think that's the most important thing. Other guys that I thought were, you know, stood out, really what showed something, James Sands, Miles Robinson, I thought played very well. And I'm not just talking about his goal against Mexico. Of course, being a legend of by being Mexico will help your cause, but he played well throughout the entire tournament, as did James Sands. Both of them could factor in at center backs, especially given the rotation that we've seen. Walker Zimmerman, I thought played well in the group stage. Of course, he got hurt at the end of the group stage, had to be with removed from the team because of it. So we wish him well, hope he's back and ready to go very soon. But he's going to be a guy that we're going to call on when it comes to pairing up possibly with uh, either, either with Mark McKenzie, uh, most likely with John Brooks, maybe serving as John Brooks's backup, whatever that is. I think Walker Zimmerman, James Sands, and Miles Robinson are all equipped to handle that role. Kellen Acosta. Kellen Acosta had a great tournament, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you out there may not like when I say that, but it's true. Kellen Acosta had a great tournament. The fact that he was left off of the tournament best 11 is an outright crime because he was the best defensive midfielder in CONCACAF throughout 
the entirety of that tournament. And he played well. Yes, did he have some slip-ups? Yeah, of course, everyone does. But Kellen Acosta is a guy that we can count on and be dependable. And also, guys, he has mastered the game of CONCACAF. He, he really has. You saw it against Mexico in the Nations League. You saw it several times during this tournament. He can stand up. He can be chippy. He can defend his players. He can do some little gamesmanship when it comes to penalty kicks. He can take the other team out of their game. And when that happens, Kellen Acosta knows that he can thrive in that space. So having that on my roster, I definitely want that on my roster because not only does it mean that Kellen Acosta can do it well, it means that we don't have to rely on our stars to do it. And I know some of our stars want to do it, but it's not their job. We need them to be stars. We need Weston McKinney as much as I love when he gets in guy's face or he, you know, shows some physicality. I want him to be Weston McKinney. I don't need him to focus on the cocky caffiness. Kellen Acosta is right there to do it. And you have other guys that can do it as well. So we can let everyone be best at what they do best. Shaq Moore, I thought had a great tournament as well. And, you know, again, Shaq Moore was a guy who was on the radar a little bit then fell way off because of his club situation. He didn't get a lot of playing time. He bounced around from a couple of clubs and now he's settled in and he had a great tournament. I think this will allow him to see more camps and especially during World Cup qualifying when there's a tight window, you can have him come on and give 90 minutes and be confident that he will do well on that right side. So this is Shaq Moore. Hopefully we see a lot more of him. Gianluca Busio. He had a difficult tournament when it comes to the physicality of things. But when it comes to the other stuff, I thought he did quite well, especially given that this was his real first time experience on the national team and really focusing in on him. In Kansas City, of course, he was at home, so he was able to thrive. Now he's off to Serie A. I think that's only going to help him moving forward. And being able to adapt to the physicality of Serie A, especially when it comes to defensive midfielders and the defense and how they normally work, he's going to get some real-life lessons and is really going to help his game. I think it's going to be someone that we'll count on as well. And then finally up front, we have Jossi Zardes, Daryl DK, and Matthew Hoppy. I think all three are definitely going to factor in, but the question to me is who is going to be our number nine? It's not necessarily Josh Sargent, but... As much as I love Daryl DK's game and Jesse Zardis, I don't think either one of those stood out either. So there's going to be a real competition there. They all bring three different things. And if they all are well, who do you start? Who do you put up at the number nine spot? Of course, Daryl DK did play some out on the wing during this Gold Cup. Jesse Zardis did as well. Matthew Hoppy was exclusively on the wing, and I thought he did very well there. But he could also feature as a number nine. So... I like the versatility of all three players. Now it's up to those three to challenge Josh Sargent and the other forwards to see who can be that guy up top. Nico Joachini also did very well in his time that he was on the field. Those type of guys, you have Jordan Pifuk, who's going to factor into this. Paul Ariola on the wing. Those type of guys are going to be important. You may not want them on the field for 90 minutes, but sometimes you need those guys on the field for 60 or for 30 or for 10, whatever that is. I know that those guys will be ready to be called on and be able to produce, but that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to show that no matter what time they get on the field, they're going to produce and that they can do something to turn the game in our favor or to secure the game 
or to bring us back. So I know that's a lot to ask, but that's what World Cup qualifying is, as we all know. It's an unforgiving competition. Every match is going to count. It's not going to be a walk in the park. There will be some games that we will play very, very well, and there will be some games where we play and look like trash. And that's okay, because at the end of it, this road to the World Cup is never just paved. There are definitely cobblestones. There's even gravel. And sometimes there's no road at all, and you have to blaze a trail. And that's what we're here to do. And I think some of these guys that I mentioned can be a part of that depth as we move forward to try and get us to that back to that promised land of being at the World Cup finals next fall. So that'll do it for the Gold Cup again. Congratulations to the men's national team, 2021 Gold Cup champions, 2021 Nations League champions. And by the way, if you are counting at home, if you're a Mexico fan and listen to this podcast for some reason, that is dos acero. That is two trophies to zero over the Mexican national team during the summer. I will take it. I will take it and be glad to the bank. And when you see me, I'll have my shirts on. It's just a matter of which championship shirt I have on, because as of this moment, I have two to choose from. And that's cool with me. We will pause for a quick break, though. When we come back, the world champs get bronze in the Olympics. We will discuss their shaky tournament after this. All right, y'all, we are back, and it is now time to discuss the Summer Olympics, the 2020 Summer Olympics. I know this is 2021, but that's what they were calling them. The Olympics have just wrapped up. It was two weeks in Tokyo and throughout the rest of Japan when it comes to soccer. And the U.S. Women's National Team entered that tournament with the expectation of winning a gold medal. It would have been the first time that a team had won the World Cup immediately followed by winning the gold medal in the Olympics on the women's side. And it was something that they wanted to do. It was something that they were unabashed about saying was their goal. It wasn't necessarily gold or bust, but gold was the standard. And that's the one they wanted to play. Unfortunately, for the women's national team, and I say unfortunately in, in air quotes, because for me, I've always loved the Olympics. And when it comes to the Olympics, it does not matter where on the podium you sit. The fact that you made the podium is impressive. Unfortunately, air quotes for the U.S. Women's National Team, they did get a medal, but it was not the one that they sought. Bronze was the color on their medals when they got them just a few days ago. We will go through the entire tournament right now briefly just to kind of see how we got to the point where the women's national team, the number one team in the world, ended up placing third at the Olympics. They started out in the toughest group, and I'll talk about the group in more detail in a little bit, but the group that they had was the United States, Sweden, New Zealand, and Australia. Three of the top 10 teams, two of the top five teams in one group, and New Zealand, who was no slouch whatsoever, made for an incredibly difficult time during the group stage for the Americans, and they knew it entering, but they knew that they had to get through that group and really shine on the biggest stage. Unfortunately, that stage was ripped out from under them in the very first match by Sweden, who had a remarkable tournament. Sweden ended up beating the United States 3-0 in a game that 
really could have been 6 0 if Elisonera hadn't made a few saves. The United States were flat footed. They came out, and Sweden had a game plan. They clearly had been waiting several years for this. And they were able to execute brilliantly against the United States and took them out of the game immediately and kept them off their game for the entirety of that match. And it was one of those things that was a very big eye-opener for everyone. It wasn't that the world had caught up. That's I, I don't want to use that because the world has always been good. We've just been better. But for, for, for once, there was a team who showed up, was not afraid of the United States women's national team, and all of its stars. They had a game plan, and they executed it to perfection. That was what Sweden did, and that is why Sweden beat the breaks off the United States in the first match. The United States regrouped. They didn't put together a perfect game, but they played a good game against New Zealand. They ended up winning six to one. And again, the Ferns are a team that are very difficult to play. They've played the U.S. very well over the last few years when they have faced each other, and this was no exception. The six one score could have been a lot closer. They still needed something to get out of the group stage against Australia. They did get a draw but it was one of the most lackluster, listless, scoreless draws you will ever see. Both teams knew they needed just a draw to get through, and a draw is all they did. They just got to kick the ball around. There were very few chances in that game. Neither team wanted to show the other much because they knew what was on the plate. They knew what was going to happen if they drew. So the U.S. ended up emerging as the runner-up in Group G. Sweden won the group. Australia did emerge. As the third team, and I'll explain why that's important in just a second. The U.S. then moved to the quarterfinals against the Netherlands. Who are the Netherlands? Only the number four team in the world. And oh, yes, as you recall, their opponent in the 2019 Women's World Cup final. So two years ago, the final is now two years later, an Olympic quarterfinal. And it was a great game. Again, the U.S. didn't play extremely well, but neither did the Dutch. Now, Alyssa Nair was brilliant in this game. And the reason why the U.S. even won against the Netherlands is because she was able to, one, stop a penalty in regulation. And two, she stopped one, two penalties in the shootout. The U.S. ended up winning four to two in penalties to advance to the semifinal. And because of that, they were guaranteed a shot at a medal. Gold, silver, or bronze. They knew they had a shot. They had two matches left to win a medal in Tokyo. They enter the semifinal against Canada. Our neighbors to the north, our rivals to the north in the women's game, and a team that we have had their number over the years, especially in big-time tournaments. But this time, Canada was able to get a penalty via VAR. and. It was a penalty, but it was a very, very harsh penalty that was called on Tierna Davidson. Canada makes the penalty kick and goes on to win 1-0. So they advanced to the gold medal match, and it was a heartbreaking, stunning loss for the U.S. The first time they had lost to Canada in 20 years, which is a monumental feat considering how good Canada has been throughout that time. They have basically been one of the top teams in the world this entire time, it just was they were always meeting their, their nemesis, the United States. But this time they did get past the United States. 
the United States had to settle for the bronze medal match, the third place match. And again, it was against Australia. Australia and the United States had a much better match than the group stage match that ended 0-0. This one, the U.S. put together a full game. They just missed out in the last 10 minutes and almost let the Aussies creep back into it. But they did hold on to win 4-3 to to win their bronze medal. Canada ended up beating Sweden on penalties, a, a very, very tough penalty shootout to win the gold medal. Sweden, as I mentioned, who had played brilliantly the entire tournament, ends up with silver. So three of the four teams that were first, second, third, or fourth, three of those four teams ended up being from the same group, which lets you know how great that group was. Canada and in the United States, both representing CONCACAF on the podium and furthering the fact that when it comes to North America, their soccer is pretty good when it comes to the women's game. And for the U.S., they have painted themselves into a corner in a way because a lot of people are disappointed with bronze. And again, I'm here to tell you that I am not disappointed with bronze. They may not be disappointed with bronze either because they know at the end of the day, going to the Olympics is something that very few people get to do. Getting on the podium is something that is even rarer when it comes to Olympians. There are 10,000 athletes at the Olympic games and less than 2% of them will end up on a podium or even having a chance to get on the podium. And these ladies were able to break down. They lost a couple of games, sure, but they were able to pull it together and still leave Tokyo with some hardware, with a bronze medal. That's something that some players on this team had never won, a medal of any kind. So you have to take that and build from it. Now, what are the takeaways for the women's national team as we leave Tokyo in the dust and start focusing on a couple of friendlies before we get ready for qualifying for the 2023 World Cup? The changing of the guard is probably going to start at some point this fall. There is going to be some players that we will see right off into the sunset as the champions that they are. Some of them two-time champions, some of them with multiple gold medals or multiple medals in the Olympics. And they are going to be saying goodbye to the women's game. They're going to be saying goodbye to the national team. We will be saying goodbye to them as fans. And there will be new blood that will come in. We have some players that we've seen come up over the last year. Midge Purse, you know, Sophia Smith. Atlanta Cook, are those players ready for, ready to play? Are they ready to become the next or the future? Are they ready to become the present? Are they ready to become part of this national team and really take it to the next level? Katarina Mercario, who was on this team uh, as an alternate originally, now, orig- now a part of the team when they expanded the rosters, she walks away with a bronze medal. Is she ready to kind of step out into her own and become one of the best players in the world? We have a lot of questions surrounding this team, but we have plenty of time to answer them, to see who is going to be a part of this team moving forward, who's going to be in the mix when it comes to that Women's World Cup, when it comes to qualifying, making the World Cup, and then actually going to play there, who is going to be our stars. We've had some that we expected a lot out of that didn't perform well in Tokyo. Do they regroup from that? Of course, they probably will. But we have time to have all these questions answered. And for Vlako Andonovsky, I think the calls for him to be fired are kind of harsh. The man entered a difficult situation. What was that difficult situation? 
He inherited the best team on the planet and was told never to lose, ever. And he did lose. He lost twice in these, in these Olympics. It's the first time he has lost as a head coach of the women's national team. So I think it's harsh to say that, should, that he should get the boot. However, he now has a chip on his shoulder that he needs to get off too. He has to show that, hey, he can make adjustments. He can get better as a coach. He can call in better players. He can call in newer players. Get this player pool some depth. Really use the NWSL and even you know some of the players that we see going abroad. See how they can develop. How we can get a bigger player pool, a better player pool, and I think most importantly, a younger player pool. Because half of this team that went to the Olympics is over 30. And four more will turn 30 by the start of the World Cup in 2023. You want to make it where we can't have an experience. Like we, experience laden team is fine, but you can't have it where 90% of the team is over 30. You have to have some young players who can show the rest of the world that, hey, y'all are in trouble, not just now, but for the next two decades, because I'm here, I'm on the stage, and I got people behind me that are coming too. We have to keep that pipeline rolling. And for the women's national team, we'll see how that works out over the next few months. They're going to come home. They'll probably play some friendlies this fall. And then come 2022, they'll have World Cup qualifying. And that'll be where we see our, another test of who do we bring to those tournaments? Who's ready for prime time? Who are the next players who can step up with some of these players like Carly Lord, maybe Megan Rapino? And those athletes that are well over 30 who are on their final legs, if they say goodbye now, or do they try to stick it out and wait and, and try and make a World Cup? But make no mistake, whoever is in that player pool, whether it be Rapino, whether it be Lloyd, whether it be Macario, people have to beat them. They have to show Vladko and Ganaski, like, hey, this, this player is great, but I'm better. I'm a better player. And when you take me, I will be a better choice on this national team going to the World Cup. That's what I want to see from some of these players in the next year or so to step up and say, I can take this to the next level where you cannot leave me off of this roster. There's a lot of players that fit that mold that can do that. Now is the time for them to step up, improve their game, and make it so that when, when these roster decisions happen, Vladko Andonovsky is like, ah, I can't leave this player off the list indispensable and that's where they need to be and not every player is going to get to that level but some of these players can get to that level and it's time for them to do that so while the olympics can be viewed as a disappointment for some really it's a successful olympics in the fact that they were able to walk away with the medal it was not the medal that they sought but they are perfectionists they aim for the highest but when you aim for the moon sometimes you land amongst the stars and i'm telling you being amongst the stars is just as great is an incredible achievement. Congratulations to them on the bronze medal. Next time, we'll just win in 2023. And then in 2024, Paris, everybody look out because I know this team is going to come back. They're going to go to Paris and they're going to have a chip on their shoulder once again that they're going to try and turn that bronze back in the gold. So that will do it for episode 56 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. As always, make sure you subscribe to this podcast as well. We have another episode coming later this week. And I'm going to tease the episode a little bit by saying it's going to be two very brilliant, very funny guys, friends of mine that are coming on this podcast. Two guys that have elevated to the top of their game right now. They have their own TV show. Wait till Thursday afternoon and you will hear what I'm talking about. 
but you cannot miss this episode. It's going to be a great, great interview. Hopefully a very funny one. Uh, Knowing them, they're going to be very, very funny as always. Rates and reviews, subscriptions will help. So five stars, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends about it. For any topic suggestions or questions, drop me a line at ssfcpodcast at gmail.com. So again, stick around Thursday, another episode's coming. So until then, take care.